Hi, this is Jamie Penwell from the Right State Guard. Hi, this is Natalie Cunningham. Hi, this is Maxwell from the Right State Guardian. Do you have a moment to answer a few questions? Right State Guardian, Alexis speaking. This is Roxanne Racer from the Right State Guardian. This is Shadi from the Guardian. How are you doing today? Hi, this is Claire at the Right State Guardian. From the newsroom of the Right State Guardian, this is Radio Report. The views and opinions of Radio Report do not reflect the views and opinions of WWSU Radio, Wright State University, or their entities. Uh, hey everyone, welcome back to Radio Report. Hope everyone is doing well out there. I'm Natalie. I'm Marissa. And I am Mackenzie. We are coming back with another week of our previously written article. So I hope you guys are ready for for a good conversation. I will go ahead and start. Um, I wrote a couple different articles last week that really provoked a lot of thinking on my end. Like I was, I don't know about you guys, but do you ever have those articles that you're just like, wow, that really, that I actually feel like I'm going to think about this one longer than just submitting it. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Absolutely. With a lot of my articles, um, it actually, you know, it's, they're very eye-opening, I think. And, you know, the unique thing about our position is that we get the unedited versions of the interviews because, you know, you can't put the whole entire interview in the article. And so we get the unedited version of, you know, and we get to see the things that we don't include in the articles. So I think that's a really unique position because um, there's a lot of things that I wish I could put in the articles, but there just isn't room or it doesn't fit. Yeah, I feel like that that's a really good point. I feel like half the time when I sit down and like go to write an article, I don't even really get to include like my favorite part because it doesn't really fit with what my thought process is for the story. So that's like a definite behind the scenes situation. Absolutely, which is why I love doing these podcasts because it's my chance to kind of share my favorite bits of the article even if it's something that wasn't necessarily in the article. Yes, I agree. Okay, so one of mine that was really impactful for me this week was the fact that 120 nursing students are about to graduate and be granted their temporary licenses, and they're going to immediately jump into the field and start fighting coronavirus, basically. So this was... A, this was a really big thing in for Wright State anyways because this is a real this is our biggest nursing class so that in itself was something that I know the college was really proud of and then the fact that we've we've gone through a lot recently and graduation has been postponed and all these nursing students can't do their clinicals so a lot's been up in the air but I think they've found a really good way to kind of make it come full circle and so these nursing students are going to be able to get their temporary licenses so they can start working immediately because the testing centers are not open right now along with anything else. So I think this is a really good opportunity for them to move on. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great to hear. I'm glad we have more people on the front line trying to slow this down. Yeah, and I think that's great for um, just everybody all around for the nursing students because their clinicals were cut short, and I think most of them are really looking forward to getting out and helping and doing something um, positive and 
putting their skills to use. And I also think it's great for everyone else to have, you know, more people um, willing to help and able to help because I know, you know, on the front lines, you know, everyone's getting sick or um, not able to work. And I think it's great that we're providing um, a replenish of those resources. Yeah, I agree. I think going into this, I was, I, I, I'm obviously a liberal arts major. I'm, I have no interest in me to be a nurse and I really respect people that can do that, but I'm a big chicken. So I could not personally. So going into this, I'm thinking like, wow, this must be really scary. But then talking to all these different nursing students that are just ready to jump right in, you can really tell that this is what they're supposed to be doing. And they are so inspiring for that. That's amazing. Absolutely. I mean, I think it takes a special kind of person to want to and have the ability to go out and, you know, something scary that we're, you know, we all have fear about. We're all scared about getting sick. We're all scared about what's going to happen because of the virus and the impact that it's had on, um, you know, the economy and everyone around us and our loved ones. And I think it takes a special kind of person to want to do that and to go out there and just put everything that they have into helping other people. So I'm really glad that these nursing students are having the chance to go out and do that before they thought they would be able to. I agree. It's really amazing because otherwise, if this didn't happen, I talked to the dean of the college, Deborah Ulrich, and she was explaining that back when she was getting her license, she, it was, it was kind of a similar process where the test was only taken two times a year. So you got your temporary license and you would work basically as a nurse, but not completely licensed until you could take the test. So it's kind of just going back to that. But obviously that's not something that these students were expecting. We have, everything's a lot more convenient now. You can take the test a lot more often, but it's awesome that they're just willing to go with the flow to get to where they need to be. Yeah, I was wondering how that worked with uh, the temporary license, but that makes a lot more sense now. And I'm glad that um, the nurses don't have to wait for a really long time to get their licenses. And I think this is also going to be a huge learning experience for them as well. Mm -hmm. I know it's going to be really impressive for them to look back and be able to say, hey, I immediately jumped ship when I graduated and started fighting this crazy virus that's going on that's like making history yeah it's really a once in a lifetime experience yeah that's actually a great segue into one of the articles that I worked on this week or last week I should say so I got to interview some residents from Wright State that are working in the medical field um And they had a really great perspective on the virus and just everything that they're going through. Um, One of the residents I talked to, her name is Rachel Thomas, and she has been working in the ICU since the coronavirus started in Ohio. And she said that the hardest thing that she has to see is just all of these patients kind of going through it alone because the hospitals, I guess, aren't allowing visitors anymore just to kind of contain the spread. And so, you know, all of these people are in here, you know, trying to fight the coronavirus and their family isn't allowed to be with them. That's really sad. 
Yeah, I can't imagine having to go through that alone. And even like seeing that from the medical professional standpoint, like that just has to be really hard. Yeah. So she said that, you know, a lot of the physicians and nurses are taking it upon themselves to call like the patient's families and update them and tell them, you know, how their family member is doing and those sort of things. But she said it's just kind of hard because a lot of there's a lot of people that come in who, you know, are young and who have never been to the hospital or have never been sedated or um, intubated. And so it's just something that's really scary for them. And especially, I mean, I can't imagine going to the hospital and having to do it all by myself. Yeah, really. I know that's a really good point. Like this is something that at our age, we're not used to anyways. And I remember the first time I had to go to the hospital by myself, that was like, I almost needed a whole separate trip for that because I was so stressed out. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. But I think she also mentioned that the nurses are doing a great job of making sure people don't feel alone and um, just keeping the families updated. And she mentioned that you know, it takes a whole new level of trust for these families to just, you know, take all the news over the phone and, you know, trust that the nurses are giving them updates as soon as possible, you know? Right. Yeah, I really can't imagine what that would be like. That's so crazy to me. I'm so glad we have people out there that are willing to do that and take that extra step to be there for the patients and their families. Absolutely. And I think that's why you know, having these healthcare professionals that are so dedicated to their job is so important because, you know, yes, they're doing their job, but they're going beyond that. They're taking steps that, you know, and measures that they don't have to, you know, they don't have to stay with these patients day in and day out and call their parents and families and, but they are because they just care so much for their patients and it's so humbling. It really is. Like, Right now, it could be so easy for them to just not, you know, you don't have to go to work, like just kind of every man for themselves kind of thing. But it really shows character that they're taking all that extra steps. Yeah. And I also talked to another resident. His name is Peter. And um, he mentioned that it's also kind of scary for them just knowing that they're treating, you know, coronavirus patients or people who could have coronavirus because, you know, they're people too, and they have families and lives outside of work, and they're, you know, they're scared of getting infected too, but he also said that it doesn't stop him or any of his colleagues from treating these patients just like anyone else, so I think that was amazing to hear, you know, just kind of, you know, we all have fears, but, you know, they're forced to overcome it every single day. Yeah, that is powerful. Another unique side that I saw from this story as well. So um, Peter mentioned to me that he is an ethnically Chinese Asian American from New York, but he said that he's kind of gotten a different vibe from people because he's Chinese and like a prejudice has been created from this virus just because of, you know, where people think the virus originated and I guess... I'll give you a quote that he said. He said, I get funny glances and stares in public places such as grocery stores, followed by a quick scurry in the opposite direction, even when I'm nowhere close. So he really highlighted 
um, the xenophobia that the coronavirus has um, produced just because of where people think it originates and the kind of prejudice that there is. And he said that he was really disappointed about this. That's so sad. A virus doesn't care, like, who you are or where you come from or what you look like. A virus is going to infect anyone that it can. And it's really sad that we can't come together even more and try to support each other during this time. Yeah, and I think, you know, the virus is bringing people together in support, but there's also a lot of misinformation and um, uninformed people out there, unfortunately, who... um, you know, see it in a different way. And I just think that's really unfortunate. And we need to work harder to inform people about the meaning of what it really means and to not take it as prejudice towards anyone. Yeah, I agree. agree. So I recently wrote an article about National Guardsmen in Ohio being activated. There were, I think, 300 National Guards members who were activated. And I wanted to get a look at what that means for students who are in the National Guard. So Wright State has around 110 students who are in the National Guard or Reserve, and about 40 who serve on active duty. Currently, those that are activated, they students don't have to tell Wright State if they've been activated, but most do. Um, at the time that I wrote the article, there were only two that they were aware of, but it can mean a lot for your classes being activated because not only do you have to worry about your classes that you're taking and we're, we're approaching finals week, but now you've been called to duty um, to serve your community. So there's different accommodations that are available to these students. Um, they're allowed to withdraw from their classes without penalty and talk to their professors and get certain help with assignments and things like that to try to help them get through it because they've been called to a very important job. Yeah, I think it's great that we have resources like that. I know I've I've talked to Seth Gordon and the VMC before about that similar situation about what happens when they're called away like that. And it's really awesome that they can kind of help them out when they have something else to be doing, you know? I think it's great that Um, We're also highlighting that side of the workforce, too, because, you know, these people are putting in, you know, just as much dedication as, you know, all the other frontline workers. They're volunteering their time and efforts, you know, even if, you know, they don't know when they're going to be called, they're constantly just on their feet, ready to jump into the action and help where help is needed. And I think that's amazing. And, you know, the accommodations are definitely um, great that we have that offered for those people who are um, putting their help where help is needed. And I think that's great. Yeah, I think it's really awesome and important to have those resources available um, because they're serving us and they're serving their communities. And it's really important that institutions do everything they can to support them. Yeah, definitely. We need them. So we should definitely be doing what we can to make sure we're helping them when they're doing such big things for us too. And I think that's something really unique that this um, situation has created is that um, we're learning how to provide for our supporters and 
um, how to support those that provide for us. And I think that's pretty amazing just how much that we're learning from this situation, even though it's a situation that we don't want to be in and we wish we were under different circumstances, but it's showing us a lot about our community and our institutions and just ways that we can help people. And I think that's it's definitely something positive that we can take out of this. I think it's a really good thing that we're taking the time to highlight these careers as well. Like we, a, a spoiler alert, we have a couple more different essential worker pieces coming up in the next week. So we're definitely learning a lot about a lot of different fields. And that gives, I know personally, that gives me a really different perspective and a lot of appreciation for what's still operating around us. Yeah, I've been learning so much about my essential worker article. Um, and I'm really looking forward to learning even more. And I've been working a little bit on like organizing it and it's really coming together really nicely. I'm writing about healthcare workers and doctors and nurses um, who've been moved around kind of and aren't doing really what they expected to be doing, but are doing everything they can to help out during this time. I think that's going to be a really good piece because I can only imagine going preparing yourself to be doing a certain kind of job and then something like this comes along and kind of changes your whole plan. So I think that's going to be really awesome to read about. I'm excited for that one. Absolutely. Me too. I think all of these essential worker spotlights are really eye-opening and it's great to hear and read about some of these other perspectives and workers that we don't really know much about because, you know, it's not our profession. And I think it's really cool to be able to see this whole thing from their point of view. Agreed. So another article I wrote was about how we're trying to stay involved in organizations when we can't meet in person. So I know for The Guardian, we've been doing our weekly planning meetings still, and we're very back and forth talking all the time in our group chats and everything. So another way that I'm involved is I'm a part of Greek life. So that's been something that has definitely been very drastically changed where usually we have a really big presence on campus and we do a lot to be there all the time and we do a lot of sisterhoods and getting together so it was interesting to talk to some different organizations that are trying to keep their whole chapters afloat right now and keeping morale high and everything so it was interesting to get to hear the behind the scenes of different of what different chapters are doing right now Absolutely. I was, I'm actually curious about that too, because I think that with social distancing and all of our classes being online, it's been really hard for me, especially to keep connected with everyone. Cause you have to be um, really, you have to be very vigilant about getting in contact with people and um, keeping those connections. So I've just found it really hard to stay in contact with a lot of people and be social. Yeah, I definitely agree with that because I kind of get in my own world too. So like I'm maybe I don't reach out as much as I should and the different organizations are doing a lot to kind of make sure that we are without forcing it, of course. Like I know for my sorority, Delta Zeta, we were right in the middle of we were about to initiate a new member and it was her big little reveal week and we didn't get to have any of that because then we suddenly weren't allowed on campus anymore. So we went ahead and did her big little reveal over TikTok and that actually got like 50,000 views. So that was insane. But 
I think it was still a really special way to for us to come together as a chapter and celebrate our new sister and keeping everyone involved. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. I love that um, the sororities and fraternities and different organizations are finding unique ways to still spread the morale and keep everyone connected, you know, even if we do have to social distance. Yes, for sure. And I know there a lot of them are doing different things like still holding their weekly meetings, but they're a little less serious and more we're hanging out together and just checking in on everyone. And a lot of chapters have started their own TikTok pages. So that's been entertaining, too. And you can still see the faces that you see all around campus. So I think we're they're definitely getting creative and that's a it's really helping. That's really great to hear. I'm I'm glad that everyone is making the most out of the bad situation that it is. And um, I'm going to have to go and look at everyone's TikTok pages because I think that's going to be really funny. Yeah, they're really funny and original, so it's definitely interesting. (laughs) That's really awesome. And remember, you should go check out The Right State Guardian's TikTok because we make some pretty good content as well. It's so good. I love it. I look forward to every single time we post a new TikTok. And I think along with that, a lot of different organizations and programs at Right State are having to adapt and I'm kind of changed to this online format. I recently talked to the student retention team about how they are continuing to provide support for their students. Um, So basically the student retention team, uh, they provide support to students through identifying barriers to success and teaching students how to navigate, you know, the college life. I talked to several different student retention associates and the student success coach, Catherine Hernandez, um, to kind of ask them how they've been transitioning to online. One thing that they've really incorporated is just being creative with social media. They kind of noticed that the administration has been, you know, putting out some good tips for working online and being successful in online classes. But Catherine Hernandez felt that they were kind of missing the peer-to-peer tips. So she had the student success associates start creating like little videos of themselves giving success tips to students. And I found that really cool. That's awesome. And I think this is, that's a really good tip. And that's what's nice about, I guess, this happening right now. Like we have social media and we have a lot of different means to actually stay involved. And that hasn't always been the case. So I think we're really lucky with that. Yeah. One of the student retention associates, her name is Megan McCarns. And she said, A lot of students are so frustrated in this transition, and our job is to make sure that we can provide any resources and help that we can. We truly wish and want the best for our students and want to make sure that we are able to do everything we can to ensure their success. So I think that, you know, I had a really great time talking to everyone with the student retention team, and they are all just so sweet and down to earth, and they are all so dedicated to helping other students, which... I just think is amazing. So it was really great to work with them and kind of get their take on how they're moving online. That's super cool. Yeah, I think it's it's great that we have something like that, especially right now. Yeah, something that Catherine Hernandez mentioned was they're working on a program called Raider Strong Outreach. And basically they're getting a group together and calling every single undergraduate student just asking them what they can do to help and how their online experience is going, which I think is kind of outstanding. And that's a lot of work, but I think it's amazing that they're putting that together and making it happen. 
Yeah, seriously, that is a lot of phone calls. Absolutely. Uh, so what have you guys struggled with the most with online classes or just um, do you have anything that you want advice on or that you kind of don't know what to do with online classes? Motivation. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I'm i pretty used to taking online classes. I did online school for most of my high school career, but it doesn't mean I like them. So I, that's my big thing is staying motivated and doing things long before they're supposed to be due, I guess, is my big thing. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people are right there with you on that. My thing is just, I think, being intentional about contacting, you know, peers and teachers and professors and all of that, because it's harder when you're online. You can't just walk up to the professor at the end of class and have a conversation or um, set up a group work or group study time. You know, you have to you have to put more effort into making those conversations happen. Yeah, that's a really good point. I have a lot of trouble with online classes. I have learned this semester that I do not do well with online classes. I took one before everything happened um, because it was only offered online. And I was like, hey, it probably won't be that bad, right? It'll probably be fine. And only having one was okay. But now that they're all online, I just am not I'm not retaining information. I'm not learning. I don't know what's going on. I don't know. I feel just lost. I feel like I don't know where anything is or who I am or what's happening. I don't know. It's, it's been very hard for me to figure out how to study and how to learn from the information, especially because my a lot of my classes that were originally supposed to be in person, we don't have any Zoom meetings. We don't have any like online auditory lectures being posted and I'm just not really getting the information as well as I would be in person I have just learned that I'm a very like I go to class and I have the motivation to do it and I need to like be there for the group discussion and like the the in-person interaction like I need that is what I've learned from all this yeah it sounds Natalie like you need to talk to the student retention team <laughs> but um one of the it one of the pieces of advice that they gave me and, you know, they said that a lot of students were having uh, the same issues that you just described that, you know, they don't have a schedule anymore and they don't know how to stay motivated and they're missing the online or the in-person interaction. And one of the things they suggested is that you keep a schedule, um, you know, get dressed in the morning, keep that same schedule that you had when you were going to classes, um, and even set up meetings with your professor or your classmates if you need to, just to kind of keep that same routine that you had before. I'll have to try that. I figured out more of like a little bit of a schedule to kind of settle into with like when I'm going to do what homework for which classes, but I would just really rather be in person and I don't think I will ever choose to take an online class again in my entire life. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that, too, because I know back before everything went crazy, we were talking about summer classes and a lot of those are online. So do you think you'll still do any summer classes? Right now, I'm not signed up for any. I And it wasn't... I decided not to before everything happened because the classes that I wanted to take didn't really line up schedule-wise. Like, they were all at weird times, and they didn't really go together, and it just didn't really make sense for my schedule. So I just decided that I would just work during the summer and just maybe try again next summer to see if there's any classes that would, like, 
work out with my schedule. I don't know. All the classes I wanted to take were, like, weird times, and it was just, I don't know, it was freaking me out. <laughs> that makes sense. So, to end what? on a good note, um, my last article that I wrote was a Dayton's Not Dead about two donut shops that reopened and are doing um, pickup and, or, like, curbside pickup. The two donut shops are the Donut Haws and Bear Creek Donuts. Um, they are offering no-contact curbside pickup and pre-ordered donuts. So, if you have been craving donuts, which I always do when I'm stressed, um, you can order from them. They have Facebook pages, um, which list their hours, their phone numbers. You can call and order donuts, and they, they have the delivery on Saturdays, I think, so you can go and pick them up. And I think as soon as I get back to my apartment in Dayton, that's one of the first things I will be doing because I have definitely been craving some sweets. Me too. And I am such a sucker for donuts. I'm so glad that they reopened. I haven't had the, either of those two personally, but I just need a good donut place just to indulge a little during this time. <laughs> Honestly, talking about the donuts is making me want their donuts. I know, Ooh. right? Like it's Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we all need to take time out of our day to support the local donut places and other local businesses because they need our support. So we should support them by buying donuts. Yeah. I don't know any better way. We're doing it for the good of the business. So yes, for sure. Yeah, this is a sacrifice that I'm willing to make. It's not for me. It's for the business. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that concludes some of the articles we wrote this week. Thank you for tuning in to this extra long episode. I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy and continuing to wash their hands. Yeah, have a great week, everyone. We'll see you next week or we'll talk to you next weekend.